are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. I invite you this evening to turn with me to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, we are in chapter 16. It is on page 95 of our Pew Bibles. I've been working through this book, and you remember Leviticus is about approaching God and communing with God. God has entered his tabernacle, but the people weren't able to enter because of their sin at the end of Exodus. Our sin has created a chasm that, that cannot be overcome by our efforts alone, but yet God has provided a way for us to come to him. God has provided the means. Chapter 16, this day of atonement, it provides the literary center of the book. It's the center of of this whole book of Leviticus. And if we zoom out a little bit, Leviticus is the center of the first five books of the Bible. This collection called the Pentateuch that Moses wrote for God's people. And so we come to this section, the center section of the center book of the Pentateuch. And it is one of the most important sections in all of the Old Testament, indeed in all of Scripture. It is emphasizing the central redemptive realities that God has to convey to his people. Though we don't celebrate the Day of Atonement any longer in the way Israel did, this is for our good as we see these gospel realities on clear display. We will be reading just verses 1 through 19 tonight, and then next time when we return to Leviticus, we'll pick up in verse 20 through the end of the chapter. So this is part one as we consider the Day of Atonement. But hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus 16, verses 1 through 19. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments." He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the, burnt, the, the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall come or shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron shall present a bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, 
and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on front of the mercy seat on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat, the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And, he sh and so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Well, for you, think about this. What is the most anticipated day of the year for you? What do you most look forward to? According to surveys, the two holidays that go neck and neck are Christmas and Thanksgiving. There's no doubt about that. Most people are looking forward to one or both of these, and they form in our minds in the 21st century something of a, the, the center, the high point of our cultural calendar around us. We look forward to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and these are the high points, are they not? The celebration, the things, that, the meals we get to do, the reunion with family. These provide a high point for us to remember, memories that we cherish and memories we look forward to making. The high point of the Israelite calendar was this day that we just read of. This day that's not full of gifts or not full of feasting is what formed the high point and center of Israel's religious calendar, the Day of Atonement. As, as is described for us later in the chapter that we didn't read this evening, it was celebrated annually by all of Israel on the 10th day of the seventh month. And the people were required on this day to fast. Or as the ESV says, they're required to afflict themselves. And this was the only feast, the only festival for Israel that they were required to fast on. So they fasted on this day. It was a day of fasting, a day of somber reflection on their sin, a day of remembering their atonement and their forgiveness of sins. We saw a series of sacrifices and rituals as we read just the first half of this chapter that the priests would do. And we'll go into these in more detail in a few moments. But the priests performed these as, as the people would come and watch. People would see the priests doing this. This was an outward cleansing of the temple and all of God's people. But it pointed them to the heavenly sacrifice. A heavenly sacrifice that that, that final sacrifice would offer. Jesus Christ himself, the sacrifice that Christ offered for us in, and in God's presence for his people. The Old Testament scholar Franz Dalich calls the Day of Atonement the Good Friday of the Old Testament. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. The Good Friday of the Old Testament, the day of the sacrifice, the day of atonement. 
we see the need for it. As we see even God's dwelling place, where God would come and meet with his people in the sacred place of the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle and later in the temple, it was dirtied. It was defiled by God's people. We saw at the beginning of chapter 16, a reference to the death of the two sons of Aaron, of Nadab and Abihu. There's been this tension, a literary tension. When that happened in, verse, in chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, there's, this been, there's been a tension. The holy place of God has been defiled because they offered unwarranted sacrifices, sacrifices that God did not call for. They were struck dead in the tabernacle and it's been dirtied by sin, by dead bodies now that have been struck down. And this tension is, how is the holy place purified? How is God's tabernacle purified that God can dwell with his people there? And here we come to the resolution. The temple has been defiled, and we see indication that it's expected that the temple will continue to be defiled by a sinful people who dwell with God. And so annually, it must be cleansed. Annually, it must be purged of all of the defilement of God's people. And so this ongoing cleansing and atonement is necessary. And this is an important teaching for us, as we read in Hebrews earlier, which we'll be coming back to. Because this isn't just some some play, some external play that has no connection to reality. But the writer of, of the letter to the Hebrews says these realities of the temple, of the sacrifices. They're copies of the heavenly temple of God. It's a picture for Israel. It's a window into heaven, as it were, to see the presence of God through these earthly images. So for us, as we look at this, we're also getting a window into heaven, a window into the work of Christ for us. There can be no impurity in God's dwelling place in heaven, and neither can there be impurity in God's dwelling place on earth. And many of the same principles that we've seen in Leviticus, especially in the sacrifices in chapters one through five are repeated here. And so we get a lot of the same themes coming up, but here they come in the most heightened way, the most heightened fashion, the most important day of the year. We see through the priest's entrance and cleansing, all of God's people enter God's presence and are cleansed from sin. It's through the priest's entrance and cleansing that all of God's people enter into God's presence and are cleansed from sin. So we'll look at three different divisions of of our text this evening. The first is the priest's entrance. Second is the priest's cleansing. And then third, our entrance and cleansing. So let's first consider the priest's entrance, the priest's entrance and what that means. Right at the beginning, we see God's dwelling in the Holy of Holies, in this central room in the tabernacle the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. This was where God would dwell with his people, made it evident, manifest that he was here. You had to be holy and pure to enter into this inner chamber. And we see inside the veil, the mercy seat that is there. And God said in verse two, I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. God's presence in this glory cloud was here in the Holy of Holies, here above the Ark of the Covenant. And God says, you may not enter this anytime you want. He tells Moses to tell the priests, don't go into this room. You may not go here lest you die. This is the presence of the triune God. You will die because you are not pure. You will die because you have not come as I have instructed. But 
Verse three, it says, but in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. In this way, the high priest will come once a year, one day a year, following these rules and procedures. She can come into the presence of God. It requires holy priestly clothes that we read about. Not the, the garb with the colorful, the colorful garments and, and the stones and the gold that the high priest often wore. No, he must wear plain white garments for this day. He must bathe for ritual purity. And he would come inside the veil. But even inside the veil, even with his pure clothes on, with his pure bath, he couldn't just enter and be in the presence of God. He had to bring with him incense that created its own cloud that would separate him from from the glory cloud of God, lest he die because of the purity and the holiness of God. So he carried in his incense to create his own cloud as a barrier to protect him from the presence of God. So the priest would enter God's presence. This one day a year, this one time a year. And this priest we see here and in all of the Old Testament, the priest not only represents God to the people, but he represents the people to God. And so as the priest came into the Holy of Holies, he was representing all the people of Israel. It was as it were all of Israel coming on his coattails. All of Israel coming into the dwelling place of God, coming into the holy presence of their Savior of Yahweh. And so the priest entered the Holy of Holies and it was as if all of the people were with them. They were given all of the benefits of of God's blessings as well. Those blessings come in, in the beatitude of God's face and the blessing of the unseen nature of God being near, of covenantally drawing near to God. And so as the priest went into God's presence in the tabernacle, so you and I enter God's presence through Christ. As Christ has ascended into the Holy of Holies in heaven now after his death and resurrection, so he brings us to the Father with him. We have every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have access to the Father the same way these priests had access to the Holy of Holies, but we have it far greater because they went one day a year and we have access to our Father daily, moment by moment. And so we are beckoned into God's presence. We are called. Jesus says, none can come to the Father except through me. Jesus has come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I bring you to the Father. You need me. We need a great high priest. A high priest not like these who offered sacrifices year after year to enable them to draw near to God, but the priest who offered himself once and for all. You can come through him. You can draw near to the Father through our beloved Son. So the priest has entered. Let's consider the priest's cleansing. Priest's cleansing. And this focuses on the, the sacrifices that were offered on this Day of Atonement. There were three sacrifices. There's one Uh, One burnt offering. See, this is a ram, verses 3 and 5, where it's mentioned. A burnt offering, we don't know exactly where in in the order that this burnt offering was presented. I like to think it probably happened at the end. The The whole animal was burnt up and offered to God. But the emphasis here in our passage tonight are the two, what are called sin offerings. 
two sin offerings. Or as, if you remember, as we worked through the sin offering in chapter four of Leviticus, we like to call it a little more appropriate, a purification offering, a ceremonial cleansing that was offered on the altar or a cleansing from repentant sins. So this was offered as a cleansing from ceremonial defilement and, and, and a cleansing from all known sins that we repent of. So these, these offerings were very important, these purification offerings to wash them clean. The first one was a bull that was offered for the priest. This massive animal was brought and was, was slaughtered. All the entrails were, 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 were arranged just so. They were burnt in the proper way. The, the skin and the meat were taken outside the camp at the end of the procedure to burn it outside the camp. But this sacrifice was offered to cleanse the priest, to cleanse the high priest so that he could enter into the holy place. And then there was the, the goat, We started with two goats and they cast lots to select which goat was used for the offering, which goat was used to be sent off into the wilderness, which we'll speak of next time. So they were selected with lots and the one that had the lot of being offered as a sacrifice would then be sacrificed as a sin offering to purify all the people of Israel. It was for all of them that all of their sins would be washed away. It would be cleansed and forgiven. We see the sprinkling of the blood of this bull and goat. Goes through exact detail of how this should be done. Sometimes it washes over us and we can't quite understand what what the text is saying, but we'll draw out a few of the, the summaries here. The bull and the goat, their blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat inside the Holy of Holies. It was sprinkled there to purify the, the Ark of the Covenant itself from the defilement of Israel that was creeping into the Holy of Holies by their sin and by the sin of the priests throughout the year. So the dwelling place of God, the very mercy seat where the smoke sat above was purified so that God could continue to reside there with his people. And this blood on the mercy seat purified the holy place, the Holy of Holies. And then the blood was also offered on the altar of burnt offerings, outside in the courtyard to purify the outer tabernacle and saying in a symbolic way, all of the tabernacle and later all of the temple is purified. It is now the dwelling place of God where God comes and meets with his people. And we see through this act of sacrifice and sprinkling of blood, a reconciliation between God and man. The atonement that man can come to God in, a, in, a, in peace, in harmony now. But that reconciliation must come. It can only come through judgment. It can only come through the death of animals. It can only come through the sprinkling of purified blood. And it's saying, especially in this burnt offering, that the only way you can come to the Father is through death. The death on your behalf a death paying the penalty for your sin, a death that then purifies you because it is in your place. The reconciliation of God is through judgment. Sin can't simply just be thrown away. It must be washed away by pure blood, blood undefiled by sin. And thus these animals, these pure, these clean animals stood in the place of all of God's people to purify them 
cleanse them so that God can continue to dwell with his people. God's priests now can come into God's presence. God's people can now come into the outer court of the tabernacle day after day offering their sacrifices because it's been cleansed, because the sacrifice has been offered. They can now come and rejoice in God's presence. They can worship him as his people because of this day of atonement. So as we consider the priest's entrance, the priest's cleansing, what does this mean for us? What do we take from this as we consider our entrance and our cleansing? And this is where we come back to Hebrews chapter nine, which we read earlier, which so clearly distills all that's happening here theologically and applies it to us to tell us the great hope that we have in Leviticus chapter 16, the great gospel that is proclaimed, what Christ has done for us. Hebrews 9, 23 begins, and you can look back at your bulletin to read along. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites of the sacrifices of the sprinkling of the blood, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The tabernacle is just an earthly picture of heaven. It's showing us the heavenly realities. It's, it's, it's as if the, the, the realities of heaven cast a shadow onto earth. And this is but a shadow of the heavenly realities that God does dwell with his people, that God does come near to them. And we must be pure to enter his presence. And so these copies of the heavenly things had to be purified because it spoke to heavenly realities. And you can't draw near to God even in the earthly copies without being pure, without being undefiled. And how much more must you be pure to enter into heaven itself? God's throne room. But we have a better sacrifice, as in the Hebrew says. We don't merely have sacrifices of animals that were offered year after year, but we have a better sacrifice than those. We have the Son of God incarnate himself. We have God made man who for us and for our salvation came from heaven to earth that we might be brought back to the Father by his death and his resurrection. Jesus did it all for us. And we see this in Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He again says, these are copies of the true things in the Old Testament. They're copies of, of heaven. And Jesus hasn't just gone into the temple in the Holy of Holies, into the temple. No, Jesus has gone into heaven itself. He has come to the right hand of the Father to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. We have our mediator at the Father's right hand. And the whole purpose of, of Hebrews is to show us these truths and to lead us in greater confidence because we have not just a bull and a goat offered for us, we have the blood of God, as the New Testament says, spilled for us. The pure, undefiled, matchless, perfect blood that accomplished all righteousness to bring us into the heavenly places. So we can have confidence, Christian. Those of you looking to this Christ, those who receive and rest upon him alone for salvation, as our catechism so elegantly says, you can have confidence because his blood is sufficient to bring you to the Father. You don't have to worry when, when we fall in sin, when we fall in temptation. 
Yes, we come and repent, but ultimately it's not based on how well you did this week. Your salvation is not contingent upon you doing enough good. Your good outweighs your bad. Your salvation is contingent only upon what Christ has done. And we have seen him now ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we can have confidence in our sin, in our trials, in our difficulties. We can have confidence that we have a greater sacrifice for us. And this confidence then leads us to endurance leads us to endurance knowing the trials of this life. The Hebrews of the first century knew the difficulties of this life, the persecution that came to them. The difficulties and the the, the challenges of, of doubting and unbelief. But looking to Christ, looking to that sacrifice, gives us endurance. No, we don't endure perfectly. Yes, we stumble and we fall. Yes, we even fall into sin, but we endure nonetheless, not because of our good works, but because of our sacrifice, Jesus Christ. All of this is about our sacrifice, about us looking to him, us grasping to him, us seeing that what he has done is sufficient. We add nothing to the work of Christ. We can't do a single thing to add to it to make us more worthy to receive his great gift of grace. But in the same way that the priest and all of Israel were purified by a sacrifice of blood, so you and I have been been purified by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so just as the high priest entered into the the holy place to draw near to God, So brothers and sisters in Christ, so we draw near to God. So we come to him. It's not in a fancy room with a big table with with golden angels uh, formed to show us the grandeur and glory of it. We don't see a cloud over the mercy seat any longer. But nonetheless, we draw near to God who makes himself known through his word and sacraments. We draw near to a God who provides to us prayer, We might commune with him and know him as we express our heart's desire to him. We have a great sacrifice. We have a great God who we can draw near to. I love how Hebrews 9, this passage we read, concludes. He says, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, He will appear a second time. And Christ will be coming back. Christ will return, we are told. He's coming back a second time. Why? Not to deal with sin. He's dealt with sin. Sin is in the the rear view mirror for all of God's people because of what Christ has done. He's coming back not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's coming back for the final salvation, for that final consummation, that future salvation that it speaks of. Not that we're not saved today, not that we weren't saved in the past by the work of Christ, but this is speaking of that final day of salvation where we will be united face to face with our Savior, where we will come into the Holy of Holies in our Father's presence forever and ever. Christ will bring us into his heavenly glory. And like the sacrifice of Christ for us, this grows us in confidence. This grows us in endurance, knowing our Savior will come for us. This grows us in faith. 
knowing apart from Christ, I have no hope. My sins are still shackled to me. I have no hope when he returns. I have only condemnation. But when we look to Christ, we know that Christ is returning for us. We can eagerly await his return and know as the high priest entered the holy place of God, we will enter into that heavenly realm forever and ever. So brothers and sisters, let's look to our Christ. Remember these things and enjoy the salvation we have today in the midst of trials as we look forward to our heavenly dwelling place with him. Amen. Let's look to him in prayer. Great God, we are thankful for how you taught Israel of these things with this great day of atonement, this great celebration, this great day of fasting, seeing their sins atoned for. And we now in this life fast as it were, apart from the presence of our Savior. We await his return eagerly, with great confidence and great hope, knowing that what you have promised will come to fruition. So Father, as we look to Christ, strengthen our faith by your Spirit. As we look to him, strengthen our confidence and our endurance, for he has done it for us. We rejoice in you, our God and our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.